Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. Happy Thursday, happy Thursday afternoon, happy September 5th, The uh, I, I consider it the, the Monday after a holiday weekend. I'm still kind of, you know, enjoying the three-day weekend. Hope, hopefully everyone had a great Labor Day weekend. I'm here with my co-host, John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club in this beautiful view here at the club. We have a special guest who flew all the way from London, actually, to be with us this afternoon. I'm excited. I'm excited for this talk. Our guest today is Lane Hudson, an activist, a journalist, uh, a good friend, actually, a friend that I've known for a little while, but I've never met in person. Um, I thought we yeah. did, like at um, one of the Yearly Coasts, which was the old name for Nerds Nation. I thought we met there like 10 years ago or something. Okay, maybe we did. Um, in a, a long ba- time ago. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we did in a bathroom somewhere. But he's here. He's here in, in, in the, uh, uh, here with us at the club, flew all the way from London to talk about his new project. He's now the campaign manager for Zero for Zero's campaign. That's right. And we're going to talk all about that, about corporations, political action committees who give to anti-LGBTQ candidates and campaigns, yet promote that they are LGBTQ friendly and supportive and all that good stuff. Right. So, Lane, before we start talking about your new role and your organization, let's, uh, let's, let's start with a coming out story. My coming out story? Yeah. Well, my coming out story was a long one, I guess. Um, you know, I kind of denied it to myself for a long time because I've always been very open about who I am and what I think. Um, the people who know me will absolutely verify that. And I always kind of had aspirations for running for public office. And I thought at that time, you know, I'm 42 years old. And so I thought I'll never be able to run for public office if I'm gay. So I, I can't be gay. I'm just going to ignore it and not deal with it. But the more Mother Nature determines to get her way, the more those plans just fell apart. And I denied it and denied it until I was 26 years old and I couldn't deny it anymore. I I did the whole, okay, well, maybe I'm just experimenting a little bit and then maybe I'm bi. And then at some point I said, when is the last time I ever even thought a girl was hot? Okay, let's just admit it. I'm gay. And so that was around 26. And of course, once I admitted it to myself, then I was not ashamed to just tell everybody. And not long after that was when the whole Mark Foley stuff happened and, you know, Time Magazine and on national and international news. And I hadn't quite gotten around to telling everybody yet. So that, that took care of it for me. But if I could jump in, Mark Foley, uh, Aaron Schock, and a whole list of other folks did the idea of wanting to run for office. Did the, were you ever tempted to, okay, actually go for it, but keep it quiet? Or for you, it would have been no. either, either going to be open about this or not? Right? By that time, I thought I was nowhere close to running for office. So, okay. so it was good that I was able to figure it out before then. And um, I, once I became an activist, like a, a bigger activist, I realized I never wanted to deal with people like me. So I never <laughs> wanted to run for public office. Um, or it- people like John. <laughs> Is it okay if we, we kind of give more context to the Mark Foley story just for, for new listeners? And, sure. And yeah, I mean, I mean, folks who are just coming out now or don't know of uh, a lot of these types of stories that exist in our community. Sure. You want me to do that? Yeah. Yeah, just in the 2000, what, what year was that? Um, 2006, right? So in the 2006 election, I was given... Um, some emails that were sent from Congressman Mark Foley from Florida to a House page. 
And that's all I was given. And it wasn't anything too explicit, but it, 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 to any gay person reading it, it was very suggestive. And so you kind of knew what the writing between the lines was. And I worked with an investigative reporter at the LA Times to get the story out there. But there wasn't really enough for them to go with, right? And at the same time, I started a blog called stopsexpredators.blogspot.com. And when it kind of built up to posting those emails on that blog, because I was frustrated the LA Times didn't go with it, eventually I posted those emails and I sent a link to a bunch of blogs. I didn't know what I was doing really, except that blogs were where a lot of stories started at the time. Um, And Daily Coast picked it up in a diary and it kind of got bigger and bigger. And then once it hit the front page of Daily Coast, it started going other places. And it turns out that ABC News and several outlets already had those emails. And actually, once they posted them on their website, they got a lot more stuff. Ten years later, we learned that one of the pages, lots of the pages had been instant messaging with Mark Foley. We learned later that one of the pages had collected from everyone all of their instant messages. And so when he gave that to ABC News, they had it all. And they didn't publish all of them, I don't think, but they had way more than enough to, for Foley to resign. Um, he dropped out of his reelection bid. It, it's turned politics in the U.S. into like a crazy um, time. And it lasted, the fallout for this lasted for six weeks, and it was leading right up to the election in 2006. And uh, some people, including... Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi said that it helped win the election in 2006. Um, you know, there was blame game going on between the Republicans. It, and it turns out with the ethics investigation that the, the gay staffers who they were trying to blame were actually the ones trying to do the right thing and ask leadership to step in and stop fully from doing those things. And so it was actually the Republican leadership that was covering up his actions. Um, but it was nice to expose all that. Um, when you look back on that and you realize how long that lasted in the media cycle and you look at today mm. where like the way, way, way worse stuff doesn't even get half a day of a media cycle. Yeah. It was, I do remember the 2006 election and I remember when that story broke and it was one of like a number of scandals and bad news for the Republicans. There, you know, there are times when you just have this candidate who is caught with her hand in the cookie jar, corruption case, you know, sex scandal here. Um, and it wasn't even until years later that we realized that, yes, the House leadership, headed up by Dennis Hastert, had his own issues that, you know, would have been an utter bombshell at that time. Um, what did it feel like to be part, I don't know if instigator is the right word, but kind of at the origin of that and then be at the center of that, the resulting hurricane? It was very confusing. I wasn't prepared for anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into hiding. Really? I didn't want to be the story. <laughs> I, I inadvertently, at the time I was working for HRC and I was in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And once the story broke, people were trying to figure out who was behind it. The blog was anonymous. I had not connected my name to anything. And so there was a big effort to unmask who was behind it. Yeah. And I had a whole separate email, stop sex predators at Gmail. And at some point I got a, it was mostly media requests. We'd like to interview you. Um, but one of them said, I fear for your safety. And I, I opened the email. I fear for your safety. You need to see what these people are saying. And I clicked on the link and 
it turns out there was software on that that was tracking my IP address. And so they knew I was logged on to HRC's VPN, and they knew I was in Michigan. And I happened to be the only HRC staffer in Michigan, so it wasn't hard to figure out who I was. Once that happened, HRC fired me, and that's when I decided I wanted to go where I couldn't be found. Why did they fire you? Um, you weren't doing, I mean, you weren't they, doing this as an they, HRC. Their, their rationale was that I outed someone, and that's against their policy. You know, I thought, and I still think, that I didn't out someone. He had already been outed. What I did was that I exposed his unethical behavior. Right, right. Possibly illegal behavior. Because some of those pages were underage. Yeah. And I had found evidence that he had sex with someone who was underage. Wow. Well, we could do an entire program on... Um, <laughs> White House scandals and things like that. But we're here today to talk about Zero for Zero. As you mentioned, HRC, the Human Rights Campaign, who really pioneered a scorecard of some some kind uh, to rate corporations and how they do when it comes to LGBTQ rights and um, employees. At their time there, I mean, it, we could. I think. I think that the scorecard has evolved over time. That's right. Um, and at the same time, I had always asked myself, like, why is it the scorecard? Like, why? Why do we only think about HRC or why? You know, before we uh, uh, and when we're coming up with our own idea of what is a good company for LGBTQ employees. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact origin of the Corporate Equality Index. I think it actually began outside of HRC. Mm-hmm. And I think when Elizabeth uh, Birch was there, she recognized the value in that and brought it in-house to HRC. And it lives at the HRC Foundation. And they, they've they been a good steward of it, actually. It's, it's the number one way that corporate America knows how to be an LGBT ally. And they do change it on um, every few years or so, um, and they work with corporations that let them know ahead of time the changes are coming. And I think it's actually the most valuable thing that HRC does. They have made sure that millions of workers that work at all of these corporations have protections, they have um, benefits available to them, um, that these companies aren't giving to anti-gay organizations. Um, they've accomplished a lot with it. And and we all have a lot of thanks to give to HRC for the work that they do with mm-hmm. the Corporate Equality Index. Mm-hmm. So fast forward to 2019, going on 2020, and you know June 1st rolls around. Well, now I think it's like May. Um, you know, you could walk somewhere in America that's about to celebrate Pride, and there are lots of rainbow corporate logos, and it just makes you feel like. Well, either A, you feel super excited, like it's, you know, gay Christmas or something like that, or B, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're overwhelmed by how many corporations now celebrate Pride or they appear to be LGBTQ um, supportive. How did you get involved with Zero for Zeros and, and, and uh, talk to us about it? Well, you know, the conversations about corporations being supportive of our, of our community yet funding anti-gay candidates has been around for a while. Um, and folks have just been kind of wondering what they could do about it. And I know there is a, another undercurrent about corporate involvement and pride, and that's kind of another conversation that we can touch on. But I had talked to someone about doing something about it, and working together, some funding came together to make it happen. And we've got a, a group of diverse LGBT donors and allies 
um, who believe in equality that are helping fund the work that we're doing, including getting me here to talk to you and all of your audience and the Commonwealth Club's audience about the work. And we decided that it was time. Um, the conversations that happened, um, it had been in the public uh, discourse. Um, Judd Legum, who I know from his days at um, Think Progress, the, the blog, um, really smart guy. He's got a newsletter now called Popular Information. And he did a post about um, some of the big corporations that were funding anti-gay candidates. And that led to um, a, a column in the New York Times. I think, was it Ignatius uh, wrote the, the column in the New York Times? And we had already been talking about this and getting it together. And so it, it really came together at the right time. And when we launched, we, got, we gathered signatures from some of the top activists around the country. They were excited about it. When it launched, we got really good press coverage. And we, I insisted that as we launched the campaign that we do it in a way that recognized that these companies are fantastic allies. We are not disputing that at all. We, I actually made sure that we, the tone of our letters to the CEOs um, acknowledged that in the first sentence. Um, and just said, you know, we are here to work with you to bring you along one more step of, of the way to be a better ally. You know, we're not here to attack you. We're not here to say anything bad about you. We're here to work with you because you have demonstrated you want to be a good ally. And there is a way that we found that you can be a better ally. So that's the approach that we're taking. We also made sure that the letters were in the CEO's offices before we went public with them um, to show them respect. <laughs> And that we were there to talk with them in good faith and work with them. And some of the companies have found that when, when they reached us and you know, contacted me and the conversations that we've had have been wonderful. And we've worked with them. And I have heard concerns. I've heard um, you know, that they want to help. And some of the internal employees are working working it and I'm giving them everything I can to figure out how to get where they want to go. Um, but some of the companies still um, take that traditional posture that if a gay activist has contacted their company, that they have to take a defensive posture. And, and that's something that I'm trying to figure out a way around. And, um, you know, if anyone is listening to the show and you work at any of the companies that are on the list, Go to our website. It's zeroforzeros.org. There is a, a little button that says, I work for one of these companies. <laughs> Click on it. It'll give you an email to contact us, and we will work with you. We've got a whole kit um, that you can use to work with your ERG in your company. We've got language um, that you can use for emails to your company leadership. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff you can use. We can connect you with people at other companies about their experiences I'm helping out. So let's talk about the 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 universe, if you will, or the environment or whatever of the companies that are in the situation. Because so many companies are giving to you know both parties. They're basically hedging their bets all the time. You know, if they went, hey, we were with you. Let's have that meeting. Um, is every company that is you know publicly an LGBTQ ally also potentially on this list or um, do a fair number of you know are, are a fair number of those folks who rate really highly on HRC, uh, the the corporate index, also 
giving to the folks who rate really, really low on the HRC? Uh, well, we um, let me tell you about the research and how we came up with the companies that we're great. On, 49 companies on the list and 29 members of Congress that we call the worst of the worst. Um, we HRC, talking about them again, they have two publicly available tools. One, we've already talked about, the Corporate Equality Index. The other is their Congressional Scorecard. So for the purposes of the worst of the worst, we wanted to get down and be narrow about it so we could really bring out the worst ones. Anyone who got a 0% for the past two sessions of Congress, mm-hmm. that's two scorecards. They do one for every session of Congress. Two of them. So for four years, they said, you know, we're, no. Anything that the gays care about, absolutely not. For four years. Then we added some extra things. Anyone who took extra steps like, you know, publicly supporting the Masterpiece Cake Shop and denying service to LGBT people or um, sponsoring an amendment in their home state to, you know, the religious freedom stuff. It, those people, the ones that were just really aggressive and trying to harm our community, ended up being what we call the worst of the worst, 29 of them. We're talking about the Steve Kings of the world, the Ted Cruz's of the world, the Louis Gomerts, um, Tim Scott in South Carolina, where I'm from, a black man, <laughs> should get it, but he doesn't. He, he goes after us, an unmarried black man. Let me digress just a minute. South Carolina has two single men mm-hmm. who are unmarried and anti-gay. <laughs> I can't believe it. Okay, so back, back to the topic at hand. Um, those 29, what we came up with, is the worst of the worst. Yeah. Then we looked at the Corporate Equality Index. There are almost 600 companies in America that have a 100% rating on the CEI. And that, again, just to reiterate, that means they do a lot mm-hmm. for their LGBT employees and for the LGBT community. And HRC brings them along very well. Those companies all have to include transgender um, healthcare, every aspect of it, not just, you know, cosmetic, you know, small stuff. Anything that transgender people need has to be covered in their company health plans. That's one of the more recent changes. So they, they go a long way. Yeah. And out of that almost 600, we tracked their corporate PAC contributions, and 49 of them had given to some combination of the 29 worst of the worst. So there are companies out there that are still giving to people who have a 0% rating on the HRC um, scorecard, but we wanted the campaign to be narrowly focused and well researched, and that's what we are. We're f- we're focused on the people who are the companies who are given to the worst of the worst as a representation of what needs to happen overall in corporate America, which is it is unacceptable for a company that supports LGBT equality to give to someone who refuses to support it. And- Go ahead, Sorry, Jeff. I was going to say. So, what's your take on why those companies do it? Is it disconnect between different parts of the company, or are they literally being two faced? That wouldn't be literal, but you know, are they actually being two faced? And the the, the number one um, excuse that I get yeah. is that you know they have the business interests of the company that are um, a, that the PAC supports, and so that means that they don't have to agree with someone on every issue. What it what they are thinking, and I worked on the Hill for six and a half years. I've worked for a company as a consultant building coalitions mm-hmm. um, to influence the outcomes of legislation or you know, policy of an administration. So I, I get it and I understand it. Yeah. So they think if they're a telecom company, for instance, that they have to give to people who are on the Energy and Commerce Committee on the House side. 
And you'll see that a lot of the worst of the worst, particularly from Texas, um, are getting contributions solely because they're on the Energy and Commerce Committee. The worst of the worst is about 5% of Congress. Those companies can accomplish their agenda with the rest of the 95%. Um, and it, it is also another conversation about how our campaign finance system is broken. I mean, our, our whole system of government is flawed in many ways, and this is one of them, that these companies think that they can't have a relationship with a member of Congress without money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they absolutely can. I, you talk to elected officials, they have all kinds of relationships that aren't based on money, and those companies can too, especially the ones that can employ full-time government affairs staff. I'm curious uh, if we can talk about just who some of those companies we should be paying attention to and who they're giving money to uh, are. Who are some of the biggest? We're in San Francisco right now. And you've got some big companies here that are on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, Not far from here is Wells Fargo's corporate headquarters, right? Well, they're on the list. And they um, also, you know, they've been front and center with some um, gay rights activists for a number of years now. And I, I think they were, what, were they banned from the San Francisco Pride Parade? They were they, not banned. Um, yeah, that's right. they, you would know, they, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but there were requests for, for their participation to, to be pulled, or they've been protested in the parade itself. And a lot of it had to do with, uh, well, one, the big scandal and, and the city cutting off you know, their relationship with the bank itself, the, the scandal of the extra accounts being opened and... and you know this, right? No, <laughs> I, I, did not, I did not follow it all. It I, was like news for like so many. Well, I, so I know so in, in years, DC, but but it had also to do with who they yeah. take deposits for as well. Yeah, and, they, and who they, they finance yeah. that um that a lot of the activists had issues with. The, the my point being that Wells Fargo should be learning lessons from this. I mean, they they're headquartered in San Francisco, which I call ground zero for the gay rights movement, and so much of the activism in our movement emanates from here, and. You guys are ahead of the curve on so many things. And I would, I would love to see San Francisco really embracing the Zero for Zero's campaign. It gives you something very easy that people can agree with. You know, our, our big idea is companies that support their LGBT employees and customers shouldn't give money to the politicians that lead the fight against it. A shorter version is companies that support us shouldn't fund our enemies. And that's what they're doing. And people don't disagree with that. People want to get down into the weeds of, well, but they're just supporting, you know, politicians that, you know, support their agenda in Washington. And I think it's time that we reach a point where these anti-gay politicians don't deserve the support of these companies. You can't support us and them. So pick one, pick one. And I think they're going to pick us because we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. Those politicians days are numbered. And, you know, our community, right, we are everywhere. You're saying Louis Gohmert isn't the future of America? No. <laughs> but we are. And we are everywhere. We are in every part of this world, every gender, every race, every country, everywhere, every industry. There's nowhere that gay people aren't. What are um, some of the strategies, or, or you had mentioned earlier that if you're an employee of a company that is on the list, you'd write an email to Zero for Zeros about what, what could we do? What are some things that we, we can do? Uh, I'm just wondering what the response would be from Zero for Zeros. Like, 
Well, one one thing that we um, I'll tell you about some of the things we're doing, but one place that we really want help in is employees at these companies. It's not very easy to find the employee resource groups um, if you're researching it. We've tried. I, I tried her also. Yeah, before this program, it, you, you have to um, you have to know someone. Yeah, um, or you know, there's Out and Equal, for instance. But Out and Equal um, works with folks in the companies and the ERGs, but they're funded by the companies. So we're not going to ask them to um, go against what is essentially their business model um, and threaten those relationships by supporting what we're doing. We're we don't want to ask anyone to do anything. To, you know, possibly harm themselves. Um, we are working with some folks like Out Leadership instead, um, and they are helping connect us to some companies um, who are members of theirs. Out Leadership is um, run by uh, Todd Sears. I don't know if you know him, but he does a really great job working mostly with the senior leadership of companies, um, identifying opportunities for them to take a leadership role in LGBT equality. And he's got a great team around him, and they've been good at connecting us with some companies, not all of them, because they're not all members. Those once we connect with the ERGs at these companies, or the diversity inclusion officers, we can become partners with them, and make sure they understand that how we view them and how we want to be a part of a solution and not just a pain in their side. And it depends on the company. Everyone is different. And the way they run their pack is different. So we talked with them to figure that out. They don't always know the answer. So they'll talk and ask questions around their company to figure out how it is structured and how they can best suggest a solution. Um, we've got some, some of these legislative affairs folks are gay. And you know they want to find the right solution. And I've got one in particular who... He is a kind person, and he wanted to put together the best possible um, response to us. And he worked within his company to get, to get all these agreements. And he came to me, and I recognized right off the bat what he did and how meaningful it was that he worked so hard. But the solution wasn't enough. And I told him that. I said, I, I see what you've done here, and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it, but it's not good enough, and here's why. And he said, okay, thanks for that. I will go back to my company, and I'll see what I can do. So you named a company that you have problems with. Are, have there been any success stories yet that you can name where you've done this working with them? And- We've got one good success story, mm-hmm. uh, Microsoft, and they were very quick to respond. Mm-hmm. And and, but- and I'm, I'm just so people kind of get more of a sense insight of how this happens – who responded, or, or what level of did the response come from? Um, their legislative affairs director okay. in Washington um, responded and listened to our concerns. And they had already, to their credit, they already were talking about this internally. And when we came in and told them our concerns and what we wanted to see done, mm-hmm. it helped them. It helped them see the way forward. They ceased PAC contributions while they undergo a review process and they are methodically involving their ERGs to ensure that they get feedback from them all. We don't know what their end product is going to be so far. We're happy with what we're seeing, but we want to see what the the final product would be before we give them the full seal of approval. Um, But we're watching them closely and we hope that we have something that other companies can learn from in what they're doing. 
Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> that's really incredible. I'm well, starting to think about what could be the 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 impact of a you know a campaign like yours. At the end, I mean, our enemies, um, their bank accounts shrivel or get smaller, and then they can't run or they don't win. And maybe we'll be run. The country will be run by amazing, awesome, progressive people. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. You know, I tell these companies too. I'm like, because they, they feel the pressure because they're the ones that we're talking to. And I tell them, you know, you haven't done anything wrong. Well, okay, you've done a little something wrong. You have not applied your corporate values to your political giving. Mm-hmm. And so that's the crux of what we're asking them to do because there is a disconnect there. But these, guys, these anti-gay people are the ones who are in the wrong. And it's up for them to figure out if they want to lose the support of corporate PACs like yours or if they want to figure out a way not to be a zero. And, and it, that, that kind of works nicely with the question I had, which is, so the companies can say we're going to stop giving to their PACs or their campaigns, um, or those companies can directly go to those politicians and say, this is why we're going to stop unless you you know, change your position on this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Do you get any sense that any companies might take that approach or are taking that approach? I don't know. Well, you know, I think that they're starting to understand it. I go back and I have multiple conversations with them mm-hmm. and I let them know that, you know, we're open to a plan. Yeah. Give us a plan how you're going to get there. You don't have to say it, it starts today. You know, you've got a moving um, target here with your government affairs team in your pack. And I know that sometimes you can't stop what's already in process, but you can plan ahead for what comes next. And pr- trust me, these people are going to know um, it's happening. And what we're suggesting to people as an easy way to, to do this is when you're ready for your PAC committee to sit down and decide who's getting contributions, have the HRC scorecard out. And anyone that has a zero, they come off your list. That's the simplest, easiest way to do it. That scorecard encompasses the entire previous Congress. So, for instance, we're in the 2020 cycle now. You've got candidates who are running on the 2020 ballot that weren't given the heads up on not getting money if they had a zero from HRC. Mm-hmm. We would be more than happy for folks to say, okay, going forward, if they, don't, if they have a zero on the most recent scorecard, they don't get it. We're more than happy for people to do that, and we'd love for them to. I'd also understand if they said, we think they should have fair notice. I'd be okay with that as well. So you know, this cycle, they'll continue with their current policies. I'd still ask them not to, but... Um, that way all the candidates have as much notice as possible. And the way these scorecards work is HRC doesn't just randomly say, we're going to create this scorecard. They do it throughout the two years of the session of Congress. Mm -hmm. And they announce ahead of time that they're going to score a vote. Everybody who's voting on the issue will know that it's being scored. Mm -hmm. So folks can say, you know, I want to be supportive of the LGBT community. HRC is scoring this. That means I'm voting yes. And a lot of people do that. The ones that are zeros, they just have to pick one of them and say, okay, I'll do that one. So I'm not a zero and I can still get that pack money. (laughs) It's just so brilliant. It's amazing. I mean, I've used the uh, equality scorecard for a lot of things, right? Just to look up a company if it's a good company. And what but I'm learning it's so great is that, what you guys are doing. What I'm learning is that the companies certainly know the CEI. Mm-hmm. And they cover that 100%. What they don't know about is the congressional scorecard. I'm learning that through the conversations with these companies. 
Never heard of it. <laughs> Never heard of it. And I'm like, well, let me yeah. send it to you. Yeah. Let me send uh, you that link because, you know, HRC is doing this work and it should be connected and I'll help you connect it. Now, you're, you, like you said, you're, you're keeping it focused, it, but it's easy also to start thinking, well, you could kind of, and have you considered this, take it further, which is um, I am a CEO of a large company that has this great ally uh, reputation and activity and marching, blah, blah, blah. So the company doesn't give money to Ted Cruz, but I give money to Ted Cruz. And my other C-suite people each max out our donations to Ted Cruz. Is that an issue? Because we've, we've seen this come up with a number of big companies where, you know, I think Target got into this, you know, well, Target's not doing anything. But, yeah, everyone in your C-suite is. Yeah, it's not a focus of this campaign. Yeah. Um, like I said, narrowly focused. Right. Um, we want to make a statement with these companies saying that their corporate PAC is not, no longer going to support candidates that can't find mm-hmm. a way to support equality in some way. And that alone will send a great message and help move people in our direction. It'll cut off money to people who won't find a way to support us. But we are not um, going after people's individual contributions. Uh, there is a free speech issue mm-hmm. there that we believe in. You know, there's also a free speech issue for anyone who wants to, to disagree with those um, executive contributions. And we have no problem with people vo- voicing that opinion at all. It's just not the focus of this campaign. Yeah, I think that's smart. We hear a lot about dark money. And does that get recorded as to how that comes from organizations and companies and PACs? Well, if it's dark money, no. Yeah. Um, that's the, you know, the meaning of dark money, well, that it can't be um, right. tracked. I will say, though, that... Um, Pensions, public employee pensions have done a lot of work mm-hmm. in going after companies that they're invested in saying, you must disclose this and passing shareholder resolutions requiring it. Yeah. So it brings that dark money into the light and they know where it's going. And it will, the effect of it is that it's preventing some of these companies from using their corporate treasury in that way. And, you know, we have actually approached some of these public employee pensions and, um, we're hoping that some of them will actually weigh in on, on this, and there could be some news on that soon, fingers crossed. Yeah, no, that's so great. Well, now it's time for our audience uh, to participate in the conversation. So if you have a question for Lane, we'll take them now. And speaking to the mic, it's being recorded for the program. Does anyone have a question? No questions? We'll keep going. We'll keep going. Um, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's very smart as a strategy to not go after individual campaigns. We've seen how the right has used uh, the, the argument against us, right? You mean, you know, you're basically infringing on people's rights to support whoever they want as an individual without seeing that if you're someone who is of great influence, a a big CEO of a grand, huge company, that 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 does matter. Um, So going into that argument has always been a slippery slope for us. But with this particular campaign and focusing and being very narrow and strategic, with corporate uh, political action co- uh, committees and, and their giving. Um, 49 companies. How many candidates did you say are on this list of the well, 29 zero? are 29. what we call the worst of the worst. Worst of the worst. Um, but ultimately, we want to get to a place where, you know, if you're a zero on that HRC scorecard, that you are cut off from PAC contributions from companies that are supportive of our community. But my question was, I mean, how, how much are we actually 
talking about in terms of contributions collectively. She wants to know how much it would cost her to buy a congressman. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the companies on the list and the money they've given since 2010 to um, those 29 worst of the worst, I, I don't focus on the amounts because I think it's the principles that matter, but I think the number is just over $5 million that they've given. So it is a good bit of money, mm -hmm. but it is also over several election cycles. Um, you know, the, the AT&T has given the most. And, you know, this research is on our website. You, anyone who's interested in it is on the zeroforzeros.org. Zero you can go down. There's a, a tab you can click on. It says, see our research. And it's, it's right there. It's in Google Docs um, and Sheets. And you can see every contribution that every one of those 29 have gotten and who it's from. You can see each company and who they've given to. And you can see the total amounts for each company. It's all there. Um, also, since we're talking about the website, um, All of those company logos, of the 49 of them, are, are on the website. You can click on each of those logos and tweet to those companies the simple message of, please don't support candidates who don't support our community. Wow. Um, it's, a, it's a real easy way to tweet at those companies. And you know, their, their social media teams recognize that if we can get enough people there tweeting about it. Uh, of the 29 uh, candidates or elected officials who are on the zero list, how many of them do you think would, you know, respond with, oh my goodness, I got to be better with LGBTQ rights. Let me get on that right away. Well, what we've seen more of is retirements, mm. <laughs> but not, not a whole lot of them, but, um, well, you know, Pete Olson retired. from Texas is retiring. I saw a, another one a few weeks ago that is retiring. I think there are three out of the 29 that have announced they're retiring. So, you know, back to our earlier point, we're still here. Yeah. They're, they're not going to be. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Uh, well, and that kind of gets to the question. I was going to ask: Has any of have you heard from any of the offices of the politicians, no. or do you expect to? No, we haven't heard from them, but we haven't contacted them directly. Mm -hmm. We are focused on talking to the companies, yeah. and because the action we're asking for is from them, and we're hoping that an ancillary thing will be that we actually move some of these anti-gay people into not so anti-gay positions. Um. But for the old white dudes that are like Louis Gohmert, they're not moving anywhere other than into retirement sometime soon. So um, it's the younger ones, I think, that are least likely to be a zero anyway, because it's been clear for a long time where the trajectory of support for LGBT America is going. And it's, it's the hangers-on that just refuse to get on board. And we are here to keep pushing it. We're pushing it in a, in a place where it hasn't been yet, which is corporate PACs. This is a new frontier that our movement has not yet gotten to. And so we are, we're focusing on that in order to move the needle forward. And I, and I want to say, just as a little ancillary part of it, why are we all here to begin with? Why are we activists? Why, are we, why do we care? Right? We care because we want to create a better world. We don't want the younger people to have some of the experiences that we had. I was a young kid in South Carolina, struggling with my sexuality, denied it to myself until I was 26, which we talked about earlier. You know, South Carolina, this is a conservative place. I heard lots of things in church and from politicians and in the media about how bad gay people were. We want anyone who is a young person in America to, to know that corporate America has their back when they say... They're not giving money to Ted Cruz because he is anti-gay and doesn't deserve it. Sending those messages, because we're going to get 
good media for any company that's getting on board with us. We're going to work to get good media for them and thank them and praise them for the good work they're doing. And it's going to send a message to that kid. Yeah, we've got your back. And Ted Cruz is wrong. Instead of them thinking Ted Cruz represents what people in America really think. We know that's not the case. And we want those young people who are struggling with their sexuality today to understand that in corporate America can be at pride, but they also need to stop giving money to people like Ted Cruz because when they do, it validates what he says. Mm-hmm. When you uh, helped break the Mark Foley scandal, uh, you said you got threats or, and, and you kind of went underground for a bit or went into hiding. Are you getting any threats from this or do you expect any? No, no, not at all. No letters from Louis Gormert written in crayon? No, I, no. And I haven't gotten any like crazy emails from people. Well, that's good. I mean, one of the questions that I did have was just um, the response maybe from LGBTQ employees, especially younger ones. Uh, you know, we, we, when we have intergenerational conversations, sometimes there's this um, feeling or this sense that younger LGBTQ folks who uh, it's easier for them to come out today and getting hired by some of these big companies lose a little bit of that activist in you right. and 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 then it becomes a little bit harder especially in the corporate culture to do call outs or or whistleblow or not even under, or not even know like how to go about that right there there's a lot that was going through my mind when you were saying that we've heard from some company employees but even the, these companies are pretty big right so we hear from an employee it's hard for them to understand even the structure of their ERGs because they're so many different places that the company operates and they don't even know how to navigate that. So you've got to, we got to find a way for those employees to navigate and find the ERG leadership uh, to raise the issue to the corporate level. Um, And that's a challenge. Um, Another thing that we are seeing is that as we try to build a large coalition of allies around the country to show that there's broad support for this, a lot of people are hesitant um, they, everyone finds a reason not to be out there for something, but we are, we're real close to lots and lots of things. Let me tell you, mm. um, we've talked to folks all over the country. Um, there's a lot about to happen and, and I wish we had all of it to tell you today and break the news here, but we're just not. Oh, darn, darn. You know, it is, all well. these people operate on their own <laughs> schedule and it's so rude of them not to operate on my schedule. <laughs> we have a question from the audience. Yeah, so um, you're, you're talking about folks that hurt the LGBT cause. And so I'm, I'm curious a little bit about LGBT people that hurt the LGBT cause and in the context of politics and some organizations like Log Cabin Republicans. Ooh. And is there something that we can do uh, to affect how they think or what uh, or who they support? Um, some, you know, something along those lines. It's, it's a pretty complicated question, I think. It is a complicated question, and again, our campaign is very narrowly focused, and Log Cabin Republicans is not a part of that focus. I think they're also doing a pretty good job of imploding on their own. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. But, but that kind of is a good question, though, because, I mean, it is possible uh, of the, the 29 folks or individuals um, that that list could grow, and it might include an LGBTQ political candidate that hurts their own community, right? I mean, it, I mean we've certainly it, seen a lot of congressmen who uh, ended up being revealed to be gay, whether they were outed or 
caught in a bathroom in Minnesota at an airport. Um, so yeah, do you do you? Oh wait, or is this something that's about to break and we'll find out <laughs> yeah. in two weeks? Nothing like Just that. Stick watch like watch that. MSNBC. Folks. I'm only referring to our growing coalition. Okay, um, you know, Brian. Um, Sims in Pennsylvania recently wrote a, a column in The Advocate, and um, Brian is a well-known uh, legislator in Pennsylvania, represents the heart of Philadelphia, and very strong ed- op-ed that he wrote, and he's also exploring ways that the state of Pennsylvania can use its financial uh, power to press these companies to do the right thing. Um, there are going to be legislators in other states who do something similar, um, but nothing I can announce just yet. Um, just, just between us and our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. When does this um, podcast go online? Well, we uh, it'll air today on Progressive Voices Network at 4 o'clock, and then the Commonwealth Club will post the yeah, podcast. It'll either be posted today yeah. or tomorrow. On okay. um, there, I want people to pay attention. Uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. We're, on Twitter, we're zero for zeros one on Twitter. And then on Facebook, we're just zero for zeros. Um, follow follow us in both places because we've got a lot of stuff that's going to be happening soon that's going to be exciting. And when these things start happening, we're going to get a lot of momentum. And all these allies that are you know, right on the edge, we're just going to push them right off. And we're going to be rocking and rolling. And we should note for the listeners, when we're talking the, the, the Twitter handles or the website – uh, zero is actually spelled out. It's not a zero numeral. That's true. Zero, it's right? zero spelled out. F O R zeros. No e at the end of that. So z e r o f o r z e r o s dot org. Thank you. So um, as we wind down, there there are a couple of personal questions I wanted to ask you. Earlier, you had mentioned you know you went into hiding because of the Foley thing, and then just following your social media, I knew that you kind of take a hiatus of, of some sort and then you were doing something completely different. Um, yeah, I'm a sailor now. I'm a sailor. A sailor <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, one, talk about the experience of being a sailor uh, and kind of why you decided to do that. And then what compelled you to, to get, to get back into, you know, the activist world. And this is political again. It is. Um, you know, I've, I've, put my heart and soul into activism for a long time. And I feel very lucky that I've been able to accomplish some big things and be a part of like some big successes. And it has gotten so negative. And the environment that we are in politics now is awful. And whether Hillary won or not, I was ready to step back from it. Um, because I hope that we would leave it in a place with a grown-up in the room who could put things back together and get things done. And I thought Hillary was that person. That didn't work out. And, you know, it's even worse now. And I was kind of glad I got away from it. And I've done a lot of traveling. So I've been outside the U.S. a lot. And I've talked to people around the world and, you know, listened to what they think. And it's informed me quite a bit. But I, the way I've traveled and gotten around the world and talking to people is through sailing. And I always had been around water and boats uh, my whole life. But several years ago, I went on my first sailing trip in Thailand and just immediately fell in love with it. And I've done it, you know, on charters as a guest. I've done it charters as skipper. I've done it helping people grow a business. I have done it on yacht deliveries. Last summer, I spent summer doing yacht deliveries all over Europe. 
Um, I've traveled across the Atlantic on a sailboat. You know, I've done lots of amazing things. And let me tell you, when you spend two weeks at sea, you have a lot of time to think. (laughs) And you have a lot of time to actually grow patience Mm -hmm. and learn about yourself and learn about, you know, how to face difficult circumstances, you know, when a squall comes through and you didn't see it coming and you haven't reefed the sails yet and you've got to methodically do that and not panic. You know, you, you'll learn a lot about life and yourself when you're doing that. So after a lot of that, and I was ready to do something again. And this campaign, I think, is very simple and straightforward. And I'm focused on it and I'm trying to keep everyone we're talking to focused on it and not make it too complicated because it's not. It's very simple. Your company spends a lot more money on prides and your LGBT employees and you do these anti-gay politicians. It is not complicated to just stop giving them that money. Mm. Period. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, I think we've, uh, we've talked about this a number of times here on the show, um, how corporations in some cases were the ones who really came forward to take on some of these religious freedom restoration acts. Mm-hmm. For those of you listening, I had air quotes around that. Um, and I mean, it, have we kind of, do you think we've shifted from back when the corporations were s- almost uniformly assumed to be very conservative and staid and unwilling to take, you know, a position on, on LGBTQ rights where to where now even, you know, I mean, obviously Salesforce and, and Georgia and, and I think Indiana and, and other cases where sometimes they're the first ones to come forward and say, no, this is bad. Well, yeah, corporate America um, has led the United States government and Congress on LGBT issues for quite some time now. Well, they do Again, thank you to the HRC Corporate Equality Index. I do think, though, that the, the expectation is there. That's why I'm surprised that we've seen um, some delay, especially in Silicon Valley, because there is such fierce competition for talent. And I tell these companies when I talk to them, You're our friend. So I just want to let you know ahead of time, we're not stopping. We're going to make it harder and harder for you to not get where we want you to be. And I don't want to put you through that. So they need to get on board because if they don't, they're going to look bad and it's going to make it harder for them to get top talent because LGBT people, again, they're engineers. They're smart people. Every place that's going to be trying to find good people. If they're not on board with this, there's going to be a little scarlet letter on them until they do. We're not doing it because they're not our friend or because they haven't done the right things in the past. It's because we found another way that they need to show that they're our ally and they've got to get there. We'll help them get there, but they're going to have to. I guess if I'm on that list of 49 companies, uh, I'd be very afraid listening to you right now. Well, I don't quit. I don't quit. <laughs> you sound scary. I don't quit. And, and folks that know me know that. That's why I'm in this position. Yeah. And, and that's why we started this campaign out acknowledging that they're allies and they're friends and we're here to help them get where they need to be. But if they keep ignoring us, we'll, we're going to get their attention somehow. I yeah, think, I think right. everyone at Michelle Meow Inc. now is on notice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a fun question. 29 of the worst of the worst. Is there a worst of the worst of the worst? <laughs> oh, my gosh. A single person who is so radioactive, they deserve that. You have to pick one of them? Yeah. Probably one. Steve King. You know, one, yeah. one thing to say about all of those people that are worst of the worst, 
they should be on everyone's list as the worst of the worst. You know, they're not just anti-gay and homophobic and spew vitriol about the LGBT community. They do it about everybody. Women, immigrants. Um, race. And- yeah, race, gender, everything. If, if you're not a part of the white men's club, conservative white men's club, they hate you. Or the Southern California black single congressman club. South Carolina. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. We'll take any last uh, minute questions before we end the program. Okay. Thanks. I'm just curious. Um, it takes a long time for HRC to add uh, a new criteria to the congressional scorecard. Um, I'm not really f- familiar how they decide what to do with the corporate index. What about going back to HRC and says they need to add something that says you cannot support um, anti-gay politicians as part of the corporate index? Is that something that's being worked on or thought well, about? I, I appreciate your question. And it's a question that I hear a lot when I'm talking to companies and also to folks that I'm um, working with to be a part of our coalition. Uh, so, it, I mean, it's, it's a natural place to go. And I understand that question. But it's, it's not something that we are focused on. We are focused on working with the companies uh, to align their corporate values with their political giving uh, very specifically. Uh, but again, I appreciate that question, and it's one I've heard a lot. Anyone else? Okay, last question for you before we let you go. Um, thank you, by the way, for coming all the way out here, uh, to, or coming all the way out here to San Francisco from London. I mean, look at that view. How could I not? I mean, that view's amazing. Yeah. And, and the question was really, I mean, um, if you're going to do anything fun while you're here in San Francisco, or if you had any plans in, to knock on some, some doors while you're here. Well, let me tell you, I have been falling asleep at like six thirty, seven o'clock and waking up at two thirty in the morning. My body thinks I'm still in London. And I'm going back tomorrow, so I, I don't know that I'm going to have. <laughs> I'm going to lunch after this. <laughs> that, that might be the highlight, uh, yeah. Because my body's not trying to be on San Francisco time yeah. at all. For some reason, I had imagined you getting into a, a lift and 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 lifting off to some of these companies and knocking on their doors, <laughs> tracking Fargo. down. <laughs> I have to say, I have to say, it really crossed my mind to march on over there to Wells Fargo and say, I haven't heard back from your CEO. Why? Yeah. You know, and a lot of these companies also signed on to the business roundtable, like yes, principles that, on great. You know, the role of corporations in America now, where they said, you know, shareholder value is no longer our primary, uh, like, function. We've got all these other functions that are more important, including fostering diversity and respect and inclusion. And I don't understand how those companies don't understand that what we're asking them is exactly that. I mean, we, we fired off another letter to the ones that signed it. 31 out of the 49 companies signed that a new statement of principles. And I've talked to at least one company that said that that letter generated a lot of discussion that the CEO got that letter, saw it, and said, you guys figure this out. So we're hoping that's happening in other companies that we just haven't heard from yet. Mm. Um, because those principles make it real hard for them to tell us that their business interest is more important than what we're asking them to do. 
Awesome. Lane, thank you so much. And thank you for being a part of for Zero for me. Zeros. Uh, the campaign is incredibly exciting. And, it, and just like, I mean, we just had Kate Kendall here and with a new Kate project Kendall. of hers. I yeah. Love Kate. yeah. And I just think that she's you know, back in Utah <laughs> with that grandbaby. <laughs> yeah. As LGBTQ people and activists, I mean, we just and really her, her new job is a big new job and she's going to turn them into a powerhouse. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, they, they were historically, this, it's the Southern, um, SPLC, Southern Poverty Leadership Council. Um, they're an old school powerhouse, and she is going to build them into a modern day rock star powerhouse because everything that Kate Kendall does is rock star status. That's right. That's right. But I was trying to put you up there as well, and just I think that you know the, these new ways of our activism clearly, um, you know, we just raise the bar every single decade. Uh, we, within our own movement, but it also addresses just the attacks that we've been facing, especially under this administration, um, hopefully to Absolutely. newer, better, sunnier days yeah. coming in That's why it's even more important for these companies to take this stand. It's a small step, but it's an important one. And in this era of Trumpism and, you know, declining democracy and we need to stay strong and not let up. Yeah. So the website again, for people who want to check it out, zero for zeros.org. And it's all spelled out. No numbers or letters, zero for zeros.org. And on Twitter, it's zero for zeros one, the number one. And on Facebook, just zero for zeros. That, awesome. that does raise the question. Is there someone who had the zero for zeros Twitter handle? It's not doing anything, but we still couldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Michelle Meow show. We have great, great programming coming up for you. One that I'm super excited about is September 20th. Uh, Sashin Littlefeather with Savan Alra Rose, uh, an intergenerational conversation about Native American representation in the media. That's coming up September 20th. For the full program list, you can head to commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. We're here every Thursday live at the Commonwealth Club, and you can listen to past shows at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS.